And we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast Act Round Zero, your home for the apocalypse, for episode 57, The Lost 77 Worlds. I am the apocalypse nerd. He is Adam Bomb Glancy. And this other guy we got here, Stephen Lee. Stephen Lee is one of the co-creators of the 77 Lost Worlds RPG. And on this episode, we are going to be talking about the game. It is a uh, post-apocalyptic science fiction role-playing game. And uh, I have my box set here, as we can see on the cover there. That is quite hefty. That it's is a, not a small box. That is well, well. Well, it's got plenty of room for all the expansions they're gonna make and all the extra oh. content. So they were they were they were forward thinking on this. So oh, I can yeah. remember buying box games in the '80s and you know constantly stuffing the expansion books in the original box until the seams burst and the box collapsed. That's what happened to my Gamma Roll boxes, my original Red Box D and D. Oh yeah, good plan, sir. That's good Grognard thinking. <laughs> yes, and we believe that uh, you know Stephen is is one of us. So, all right. <laughs> so we are. So uh, we're just going to get right into the show. No in the news. As I said, I don't have anything really. Uh, well, slow, slow. I, I, I was going to ask about. Uh, it appears that Prime Base has suffered some sort of power outage. You are now running on emergency power there at Prime Base. It's uh, it's desperate times. Desperate times. I, I appreciate uh, you taking a few gigawatts out of your life support system to make the broadcast. Yes, yeah. uh, deep, 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 deep in the earth, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the line from the song. Uh, there's a crossover kind of late '80s punk metal, punk kind of metal band called uh, Straw Dogs, and they did a song called Trigger Finger, which is uh, basically about a guy in a, you know, a guy who works in a missile silo, you know. And basically, the line is, you know, down in the silo, down in the dirt. You know, so that's that, that, that's where I'm at. You know, well, not really. I'm really I'm really on the third floor, but uh, that's that's besides the point. But uh, it feels like the dirt. It feels like the dirt. I'm trying to I'm trying to get the feel that I'm in a bunker. You know that I'm you know that I'm John Goodman in his uh, survival shelter, and uh, I'm not quite as crazy as he is, but uh, you know, I, uh, I he, he's at least crazy enough that I'm going to give him a look. When uh, Ten Cloverfield comes out, I think I might actually emerge from my house to watch a movie. Which well, it, I, it's already out, dude. I know, I know. Uh, I just uh, I haven't done it. I haven't emerged yet. Uh, we're, I'm I'm old and we're both old and crusty and picky. I I don't know. Last time I went to see a movie, I think it was Fury Road. Uh, well, <laughs> me, me and the wife go to the movies uh, all all the time. So. Ah. Steven, feel free to interrupt us and add to this conversation because this is what we For do. God's sakes, say something. <laughs> We just start talking about random crap, you know. You 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 know the format, you know. Because well, I have just... to say, you know, I actually left and went to see a movie, which was rare for me, the other day, and I went and saw Gods of Egypt, which I highly recommend. All right. Very All well. Right. Done. You're breaking with the pack. I've heard some terrible things about Gods of Egypt, um, but uh, you know, uh, uh, what do I know? I haven't seen it. Well, it's it's definitely an action movie, and uh, they went with the. Uh, the very old mythology where there is Egypt and there is nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, actually, that's kind of cool because there is that. Everybody, every culture's got their 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 mythology where there's nothing else out there but barbarism and possibly water. This is the center of the universe. All maps start yeah, here. They kind of have elements of a uh, disc world and uh, spelljammer, believe it or not. 
<laughs> Spelljammer. Okay, that is a that is wow. a the ancient. I'm sorry, ah. the Ark of Ra as he sailed, sailed around Egypt. Just Spelljammer is the only thing that kept popping into my mind. I, I, I don't know if Spelljammer is a good endorsement for this film. Uh, <laughs> now, now, it mind was entertaining. You, I'm not saying it was a good film. Oh, <laughs> I, I stand corrected. Uh, now, mind you, back in the day, you know, we actually incorporated some Spelljammer to our D&D campaign when it came out, but we didn't play out in space. It was basically. We had a spell. A spell jammer came onto you know the Forgotten Realms, and we wound up capturing the ships. That became basically our our home base ship around uh, you know the realms. So, but we never went out to space with it because we're like that's stupid. But the ship's really cool. And we're gonna use it. You know, <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's why every role playing game is a is a buffet table, and you pick what you want and you throw the rest away. Now let's talk about your buffet table that you've you've you've. Uh, you have crafted a buffet table full of goodness, but before we start on that, let's go with the, uh, the who the fuck is this Lee guy? Who? Why is he here? What's your um, what's your resume? Uh, have you been to college? You know, we only hire yeggs that been to college. So. <laughs> oh, that sounds like some pretty boring stuff. Um, yes, I've been to college. Been playing role-playing games since the late seventies. I gamed with uh, Gary uh, Gygax out in Lake Geneva, and that's how I met Jim Ward. Mm-hmm. And um, I know he was on um, your other episodes, 39, I believe. Yes. He was kind of enough to mention 77 roles at the time. Yes, he did. Um, so, um, you know, that was back in, let's see, I met him back in 2004, 2005. And uh, when he had some medical issues and was. Uh, having issues finding work and so forth because of his condition. Uh, him and I were in a conversation, and I pulled out an old game I'd started developing back in the 80s, and it, we turned it into 77 Worlds, which is a oh, really? massive oh. post-apocalyptic set, setting. Oh, wow. So you did this back, sorry, oh, so this idea, well, we'll get into that where the where it came from, but oh, but it really, so this came, this is back from the 80s that you had this idea, huh? Yes. Oh, wow. Very, very cool. So, um, what other type, you know, like, have you done other, you know, besides your 77 Worlds, and I know uh, you also work with uh, Mutazoids, I think, a little bit, or? Yep, Moses Wildermuth and I own the Mutazoids franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, he redid Mutazoids, or he did the third edition of Mutazoids, and I helped him get that published. Um, I worked with uh, Jonathan Thompson on um, his uh, Cityscape book from Battlefield Press. Um but those are really more of um, business associations. I didn't do the design work or the writing or anything for those two games. Okay. You know, my, um, um, the first thing that I actually worked on commercially was a space station for Gary Gygax, which was um, going to be published in the science fiction version of uh, Legendary Adventures. And unfortunately, that never came to market. Um, I, don't, I don't think LA did real well for him. No, hmm. it, it, it did not. But um, uh, you, but even I, it, that, that still counts as a professional paycheck, even if it doesn't get published. You got paid. You did the work. Uh, so that counts as that. That's the profession. That's their, that was your first professional job. Yes. Yes, it was. That's What's it. your uh, what? What is the thing that you're besides seventy seven worlds? What are you most pleased with that you've cranked out over the years that you would, you would definitely want to steer people towards and you know uh, 
in your past your past uh, projects? Well, the only projects that anyone could actually get a hold of at this point would be the 77 Rolls game. Um, like I said, the, the the work I did with LA was never published. Um, yeah, most of my, my prior work is not on the market. Uh, Metazoids well, is on the market, but I didn't write that. I just uh, I publish it. So. Well, okay. well, we we don't we need. You need to work out work on that. Hopefully, this maybe will help you. You know, hey, a space station sounds like a cool thing that would be between the Earth and the Moon in a futuristic post-apocalyptic world. Maybe we could work. You could work some of that old work in there. Well, huh? who, who doesn't like a space station in a post-apocalyptic setting? That's well, just that's well, just obvious. Oh, I mean, I love I loved the Albuquerque spaceport. You know, with the, with the space station adventure. You know, I played that. You know, back in the eighties, it was fantastic. So. Okay, cool. So, uh, excellent, Lee. So, uh, so that's that's Lee, uh, Lee, Stephen Lee. <laughs> Me and Scott have a tendency. Scott have a tendency to call people by their last name a yeah. lot, a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> we'll, so, we'll try not. We'll, we'll use the name Stephen so we don't get him confused with the other Stanley, which shares at least two letters of the first name. So yeah. that could be confusing. <laughs> three letters, three letters. So, Stephen, it's practically identical. So people who don't know what 77... Uh, so I wasn't sure... So it's the 77 Lost Worlds, or what's, what's the proper title for it? Uh, the title is The Lost 77 Worlds. Okay, because we've been calling it 77 Lost Worlds. We've been putting the lost in the wrong place. Uh, okay. Yeah, there, there was... Uh, some of the earlier stuff was published with that title. Jim used it a lot, so uh, I think our editors got a little confused. Mm-hmm. So it's the the lost seventy seven worlds or the seventy seven. It's the lost seventy seven worlds. Okay. Oh, hey. So I got it. So I got it right on the uh, the event title. Yay for me yeah. for figuring it out. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I I am done good. So uh, before I ask the next question, I just wanted to. So I did have something to to add to uh, the conversation just because um, two years ago today. Is the anniversary of the of the day that we lost David Tramp here? Yeah, I can't believe it's been two years already. You know, it's it's uh, it's crazy. I just because uh, I because you know that stuff popped on my Facebook feed. I'm like, oh my god, that was two years ago already. That's that's crazy. Yeah, well, I, we're getting older, and as we do, the years seem to be flying by faster and faster. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was, you know devastated from hearing that because everything I read that it seems like he, you know, some people contradict me say, well, I've heard, because people know people in the industry, like, I heard from my friends that he had no interest in coming back in, but if he was going to this game store and selling his stuff, he was, he agreed to do a, a little game show again, a, a game, like a, like a convention again, wanted to get hooked up with Kickstarter to get his books out. He had an interest in, of, of, Kind of going back into it again, you know. He might have not gone fully in because he was very, uh, you know. We know he had a lot of issues with people in the industry back then, but yeah. still, there was a possibility that we could have gotten him back even for a little bit. And I think that if he would have seen how well he was received and how well he was loved, that he might have, you know, come back, you know, as much, you know, somewhat, you know. But more Dave Trampier work is still more Dave Trampier work. It's a shame we didn't get any. You know? Exactly. Well, that's 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 what's right up, you know, right above my desk. You know, that Gamroll poster that you say I got to share with the with the people. You know, so I look at that every I look at that every day, and I get lost in those ruins that you know that those four guys are looking at. You know, I've been I've been up and down those buildings and through those woods so many times over the years. 
But anyway, so back to the topic, surprise, is so Stephen, give us an overview of what the Lost 77 Worlds is. Yeah, a, a, a setting overview. A setting overview. Well, well, we're going to grill you on the mechanics later, but, but <laughs> okay. let's let's hear about the story before we get into mechanics. Yeah, the, the storyline for the for the uh, Lost Seventy Seven Worlds. Um, essentially, mankind has gone into space and spread out and colonized seventy six other stars. Um, their little Imperium goes on for a while, and then. Um, there is a brief war with the Sentinel starships, um, which is touched on a little bit in the basic set, and we get more into it when we do the uh, the Blasted Earth expansion. Um, and they haven't really encountered any alien life forms at this point, so they spread out and create all these colonies, and um, mankind creates these brain chips, which allows you to pick up any skills without taking a chip and inserting it into your head. And you instantly have that skill set. Um, so at that point, three different alien races that humanity has not yet encountered suddenly attack all of the human colonies simultaneously. And it's an overwhelming force. And the ships that are defending the colonies realize they can't win out there against the ships they're facing. So they go back to Earth. When they arrive at Earth, there are three massive forces attacking Sol System. Um, they're able to destroy those those alien ships, but not in time to save the Earth. So the Earth is utterly decimated. There are few, if any, humans left on the planet. Uh, so the initial uh, basic set uh, takes you to the lunar colony, where there is a series of Hyperion domes that have been turned into um, vacation resorts. And each one gives you a completely immersive experience into different time periods. Um, so this ends up being the sanctuary, um, kind of like a Logan's Run dome, I suppose, um, for pure stream humans. And in these domes, we have the Egyptian dome, which is based on ancient Thebes. We have an Arthurian dome with Camelot, and we have a Roaring Twenties dome, um, which allows you to experience the ganglands in Chicago in the 1920s. So that's... Um, that's where the scenario kind of starts up. Players begin in one of the domes. Um, they go on quest, increase in rank, and then eventually they're pulled out by the AI and sent off to the Earth or Mars or some starship to collect resources that uh, the dome's running out of to bring back to the dome. You just said AIs. So um, human society is now on the domes in the, uh, in the, the lunar vacation complex is run by AIs. We're, we're, we're now uh, second banana to the tools we created. That's correct. The entire vacation resort is run by artificial intelligences, um, as are the Sentinel ships as well. Um, so the, the people who were on vacation in the domes are the ones who survived. When they went on that vacation and they went to the domes, um, they were given a brain chip that gave them the skills they needed to act out the role they were playing in that vacation. Um, think Westworld or Future World, um, Dream Park, things like that. Okay. Um, so it tends to suppress their real memories. It gives them kind of a fake past, which seems real. 
the various domes were in when the apocalypse occurred. So the AIs at that point decided they needed to protect the last vestiges of humanity and kind of kept them in that state for the most part. Uh, to what, avoid the psychological trauma of realizing that there had been an apocalypse so that we're like in a terrarium almost, you know, watered and fed, but uh, not actually achieving or doing anything? That's exactly right. And they send out, they, they have these people um, who, who are somewhat adventurous or brave or seem to be accepting of a wider reality, or people whose old memories begin to surface. And they send them on these quests and determine if they're going to be suitable to send outside of the resort. And um, that's kind of where the game evolves. You know, your player characters go down this route and you complete your quest. And then the AIs will typically um, pull the people who seem suitable and send them off on various missions to collect rare earths, rare minerals, and so forth. And at the point that you emerge from the resort, and there are many adventures within the resorts, but at the point that you emerge from them, you have a lot of options at hand. You're, it's not channeled, it's not controlled. You can go to the Earth, you can go to the space station, you can go to Mars, you can go to the Jupiter shipyards. There's all kinds of other places you can go. And the goal eventually is to get out and make your way to the other colony worlds. But it sounds like you start off in, in kind of a cushy prison, which uh, which in some ways is a is a tad uh, it's a tad matrixy. You get to break out of this this cushy prison, and you are sort of have the ugly reality of the world you really live in thrust upon you. Uh, and, and, and that it's not just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an apocalypse on an interstellar scale, not merely, we didn't just fuck up one planet, we've had whole solar systems that have been that's, rearranged. Oh, you're absolutely correct. Now, and it's not just like someone's plucked out of Camelot and thrust into this modern apocalyptic event. There are rumors, there are people who know what occurred, so you see hints of that. You occasionally run into technology within the domes, um, but not to a massive extent. But you are right. In, in many ways, it is like a terrarium. Uh, there are lots of human beings who simply can't deal with the apocalypse. So they prefer this illusion yeah, to reality. Yeah. That's, that's actually super creepy to me. <laughs> the, the idea that the AIs are like, you know, the meat bags are going to shit their pants if they know the scale of how fucked we are as a they are as a species. We're going to have to bring them up slow. Careful, or they're going to end up jumping out an airlock because the future is not bright. Un unless you walk out on the surface of the moon and look directly into the sun, in that case it's <laughs> super bright for about a half a second. <laughs> okay. And, um, and, and, and um, what Stephen had said, because actually it means uh, Stephen talked last week, was uh, we were talking about it, and I says, it's like, you know what, the game, at least from on the, on, on the lunar perspective, I said has a such I had said to him as such a dream park you know a lot you know uh, West World Future World type of feel to it you know the dream because it totally Larry of his dream park totally like jumped in my head you know when I you know I first heard about the game and I was like oh it's just, it's like dream park you know and me and Stephen talked about it. he's like no you're right you know and it's actually you've had some involvement with uh, Larry Niven in the past is, am I am I correct Stephen yes that is correct I've had uh, conversations with Larry in the past and. Uh... I chatted with him at DragonCon about three years ago. 
I've been a big fan of Larry Nevin since the mid seventies. It's hard not to be. <laughs> yeah, and as, and as you know, as we did, we did Lucifer's Hammer last week. So, and that was an excellent show, guys. It really was. Thank you. Well, th- thank you. It's uh, it, it helped that I had recently, you know, re- you know, reread or re-listened to the book, you know, because it had been a long time since I had uh, read that book. So, well, I have to anyway. say, about eighty percent of what you guys said was familiar to me, but uh, y'all commented on a few things I just don't remember from the book. So I'm gonna have to break it out and read it again. Uh, my my wife, I got my wife to read that book a while back, and uh, it was—I want to say it was a gate. I'm not sure if it was a gateway drug for the apocalypse, because she is a big fan of, of apocalyptic uh, fiction. She loved, you know, Postman, uh, loved Eternity Road, um, sort of the higher end stuff, I guess. Um, but the thing that I—her—her I, her, uh, assessment that I always stuck with me, she said that yeah, it's written in the '70s, but it really held up despite being very dated. You know, despite the the, 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 the the setting that is quite dated, it really held up uh, all the way down the line. And and one thing, Scott, one of one of the one of our uh, followers um, called us out on that because again, I told him, hey man, we could have we, we couldn't have reveal everything in the book. We we still want you to read it. Was we totally forgot to mention one of the other? He wasn't the main character, but he was a pretty predominant character, and it was the freaking uh, uh, the hippie the hippie postman who was oh yeah. Around the valley became, you know, the mailman. I'm like, oh yeah, we totally forgot, totally forgot to mention him. But you know, that's okay because again, you know, we, you know, we spoiled it, we spoiled it quite a bit, but we didn't tell everything. But uh, so anyway, so all right, cool. So again, no, the the, the setting sounds intriguing. Uh, I, you can know, I, like. Can I squeeze you for spoilers? Can you do? You, is there anything else out in the solar system that's particularly interesting? Uh, you know, as far as like Mars or. What's left on Earth, well, or is Earth a rock? Well, we'll kind of get to that question. We talk about you know what's coming out, what's going to be coming up. So let's let's, let's right, save right. it for that. Let's save it for that question. You know, <laughs> remember remember we tried to have a list of questions to try to keep some kind of format and outline to keep it flowing. I so don't know what you're talking about? I don't know. Hey, when we have when we have people that aren't you know our our normal drinking buddies on as guests, then uh, I like to try to keep some kind of some kind of semblance of format, you know. <laughs> but All right, uh, fair enough. Question number three. And uh, and actually, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Stephen a drinking buddy because uh, he's he's in Florida also. Oh, very cool. Where are you at, Stephen? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. It's in the northeast of the state. All right, you're you're on the same coast as Mr. Wallace. I grew up in Orlando. Ah, okay, not Florida, too far away. I only ever hit Jacksonville one time back in the in the 90s where I was running around from one game store to another trying to to get every single out-of-print copy of Traveler 2300 I could get my hands on <laughs> when Game Designers Workshop had tanked and their stuff was all in the bargain bin. Um, but I hit, I hit like three different stores in Jacksonville. There were a couple of really good ones uh, back in the early 90s. Again, probably gone the way of the Dodo. Yeah, uh, but... I- because I have a because I have a friend who lives in Jacksonville now, so I told Stephen next time I'm in the area, I'm gonna give him a ring and we're gonna we're gonna hook up. So, so what what was what was your uh, your inspiration for the mechanics? I mean, where do your mechanics uh, sort of come from? What kind of mechanics did you did you design for this uh, for this system? Well, the mechanics were actually designed by James Ward. Excellent. Um, when uh, we started working on this project, he wanted to go back and. To a better version of some of his earlier work. Mm-hmm. His words, not mine. Um, so one of the things we did with this, and 
I had given Jim all of my notes uh, for the the worlds and um, for the entire 77 worlds system, which did not have aliens in it until Jim got a hold of it. <laughs> and I have to give him credit. He designed the uh, the lunar resort. The, uh, the moon base in my original game was not a resort, but this is really turning out nice. One of the things he did is he came back and said, I know you're not going to want to do this, but I'd really like to do this game where we use a card deck to generate random numbers instead of dice. Um, so he went through and built a, a system like that where you can use a standard set of playing cards um, to generate uh, all the random numbers you need. The, the characters um, each have four primary cards which represent um, essentially constitution, dexterity, strength, um, and the ability to understand or grasp technology. So the game's very rules light. It runs real fast. It's real fluid. It's easy to teach. We've run seven or eight games now at conventions, and most people grasp the rules and are able to handle them within just a few minutes. I remember playing some role-playing games where it would take two hours to develop a character, and then you weren't sure you did it right. Uh, aftermath? <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I believe there's a... there's a there were, I think Aftermath is the one that had the two-page flowchart that you opened up just to determine how a combat round went. <laughs> which I was like... Ah, wow, yes. Okay. So well, so this is so this is the complete opposite of that. This is <laughs> It is. It's uh when we we set out to design the basic set first, you know, think of this as the original D and D box set back in the the uh late seventies. It's designed so that you can bring in new players, easily get involved in the game. Mm -hmm. Um the reason we did a Thebes Dome is to allow people to transition from things like Dungeons and Dragons, which they'd be very familiar with, and slowly introduce them into the other rule sets and concepts. So, no wonder you were happy with that Gods of Egypt thing. That was like the inside <laughs> of your dome. It fit in very well. <laughs> so essentially, in the game mechanics, it's really quite simple. The very first part of the rule is, okay, where's my camera? There it is. Uh, red cards are good and black cards generally aren't. Um, if you draw a heart card, it's guaranteed success. That's the um, hit and critical damage in combat, the uh, success at any kind of feat, luck, um, attitude of NPCs you run into is really good. They're extremely helpful if you draw a high heart. Um, the, uh, the diamond card is kind of like a glancing blow in combat, so it does a little bit less damage, typically around half what a weapon would normally do. Um, the clubs and the spades, you do not want to draw these during combat, unless you're the defender. If you're the defender, a spade card either cuts the damage in half, or if it's a high spade card, uh, causes the attacker to completely miss, regardless of what they drew. Uh, so combat's pretty simple. The weapons always do the same amount of damage. There's not a range. How many um, how many decks do you use? Is there one per player? Is there one for the game master? Do you all draw from the same deck? Every player has their own deck. Okay. And initially at the start of the game, your character uh, sheet has four creation cards. So you pull those out of the deck and lay them on your sheet. 
you can use those at any point during the game. So if you have a heart creation card, you want to save that for a point in combat where you absolutely must hit. Okay. okay. If you have a spade, you want to hang on to that in case you're low on hit points and you're in an unexpected combat situation. That way you can guarantee you don't get hit. Um, so you can play your creation cards at any point in the game. Once you play them, they go back into the deck to be shuffled. So you have two kind of um, strategies here. One is to play those cards quickly, especially if they're good cards, so that you have a chance of drawing them again. And the other is holding them mm. for a critical moment in time. Uh, everybody plays it a little different. Yeah, I see how that would work. I see how that would work. All right. Um, uh, uh, let me see. Um, so just another, because uh, you were showing aces, is that a low card or is that a high card? Ace is the high card. All right, highest card. All right. Highest yeah. card, yes. All right, just making sure it's not king's high or whatever. Joke, joker's out of the deck. 52 cards, not 54. I'm glad you asked that. The Joker's a very special card. Both Jokers are shuffled into the deck at the beginning of each game day. Um, when a Joker comes up, um, odd things happen. All right. And there's a, there's a whole uh, section inside the core rule books that talk about Jokers and how to play them. Um, typically, things are good, but not the way you planned. So they really are a wild card. Once they come up, they're taken out of the deck and they're not shuffled back in for the remainder of that game day. Okay. Unlike the other cards. Unlike the other cards. All the other cards get shuffled back in. The deck gets reshuffled anytime a um, anytime a Joker is drawn. Oh, oh, that's a good question about uh, randomizing the deck about the shuffle. Um, uh, do you? Uh, I'm presuming everyone's decks on the table. Uh, everyone, uh, do people shuffle each other's decks, or or how how to, to, to prevent stacking, to prevent the standard things that you'd worry about uh, if somebody oh. if you were dealing with a with a card mechanic <laughs> to, to to force a hand or force cards. You know, I've I've not run into anybody so far that does that, but I know there's a lot of people that would. Yeah. Um, what we typically do, you, first of all, they have to go through their decks and pull out their cards, uh, for their creation cards. Then everybody shuffles their decks on the table. Decks stay on the table. They only get reshuffled during specific events during the game, and, and those come up randomly. If okay. anybody draws a joker, everybody reshuffles. Cool. Really hard to stack a deck and keep it consistent into the game. Okay, good. All right, um, you know, <laughs> the rules are there to protect us against the worst of us, not the best of us. <laughs> That's true. I, I was one of those jerks who would, if there were two dice to be thrown, I would throw one, and if it didn't turn out good, try and hit it with the other dice. That was a that was bad form, to say the least. Uh, so I, I, I presume there's always going to be somebody who's trying to fudge the system. Well, the other um, thing that changes things up, it's not always the next card in the deck that you're going to get. Um, with every number of cards you draw, and then you can pick which card you want to use. And if somebody really good card with their first draw, they may not draw the other two. You know, so that's optional. Um, so it does randomize the deck as you go along, and because there are random shuffles at different points in the game, I'm sure somebody could stack it, but it would be hard. Okay, that's cool. It sounds, it sounds pretty uh, jerk-proof, which is good. 
And apparently Scott's a jerk because he used to throw dice at dice oh. to get different results. results so. I, I was a jerk. I, 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 I just remember uh, nobody called me out on it for years, and then somebody did, and, I, and I, it, it, just the looks on everybody's faces uh, around the table when I did it, I could see that I had committed a faux pas in that group that was, you know, not to be repeated ever. So, so, so Scott's a big cheater. Okay, yeah. we've established that now. Okay. <laughs> I went to law school. Oh, right. that, that, I, that, how can I forget? That explains it all. So. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. So anyways, all right. All right. Um, that, sounds like, that sounds like a pretty uh, innovative and di very different mechanic. It sounds uh, very cool. And uh, well, next, next time we talk to James, and you know, hopefully we'll do that again one day, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, maybe, maybe down the road when 77, uh, the Lost 77 Worlds has become this uh, huge juggernaut and you have a lot of stuff out, we'll get you and James on the same time and we can talk about the game some more. So. Oh, that'll be a lot of fun. We do have ask a you. PDF out on our website that walks through the entire ward card system and has some examples of play in it, um, which would be very good for your, for your uh, viewers to take a look at. We'll definitely put a link up for that. Absolutely. Yeah, there there should there should already be a link in the uh, event page description, but I'll make sure it gets posted again so everybody can see that. I've, I've never seen this. Uh, I've never seen cards used in quite this way before. Um, the closest I can ever think of would be Twilight Two Thousand had like a motivation NPC motivational deck where you draw a card and depending on what suit and what number it would describe you know the the randomness of a of an NPC's uh, re a new NPC's reaction to you encounter with you. Well, but, Jim uh, Jim worked on uh, card games you know, many, many years ago. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Spellfire is uh, one of his babies, right? Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, believe. in fact, Spellfire was designed by James Ward as well. Yeah. Exactly. So I know he, he designed that. So he definitely has that background in, the, in uh, you know, card systems. So, all right, cool. So again, very, sounds like a very interesting mechanic, very innovative. Um, Let's get a couple more questions out there. I think we could, um, well, yeah, let's not combine anything. But um, well, what what inspired you to create the game? Well, let's 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 you know uh, you know that's uh, you know so you could you could talk about you know the your original creation uh, inspiration back in the eighties or the modern iteration of it. Oh the, yeah, you know. how it's changed. I mean, the, because we're talking about a twenty year you know project. I, I'd love to know what your original vision was and how it's evolved. Okay, let me see if I can summarize this because that would be a very long story. Um, yeah, back in the 80s, uh, I was a big Gamma World fan. We, uh, we ran Gamma World games five to six hours every single week. Um, and I kept expanding that. Um, I did a lot of crossover into Greyhawk using the uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks module as kind of a transition point, which was lots of fun for me, if not the players. Uh, most people enjoyed it. Um, so as we uh, played more and more Gamma World, I kept expanding the, the system because it seemed incomplete to me. Uh, so we created a lunar base, we created starports, um, we eventually created other destinations within the solar system, and then uh, there was a, a jump ship they could encounter that would take them to another colony world. And that's as far as that went. And that particular expansion um, was called Magnificent Desolation because the destination planet they went to, there were no human survivors. It was just completely full of mutants and mutant societies. and um, So that was a lot of fun. 
then later we began to design uh, Apocalyptic Space, which is the game 77 Worlds is based around. Uh, that game did not have aliens. It was basically a war between humans and the AIs that they cre created to run all of their uh, starships that defended their systems. It's, it's a very bad idea to turn all of your military defense over to a computer. So, And yet um, we keep doing it in fiction over and over again. <laughs> and we seem to be trying to do that in reality lately. I'm, I'm sure the drones won't turn on us. Well, I, especially now, if, if we can get, what was it, Microsoft's K... You know that that uh, the the sort of learning robot program that was attached to Twitter. That, oh yeah, yeah, the one yeah. That thought of that all humans needed to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one, yeah, the one that went from being "Hello world" to the Holocaust was faked in <laughs> in like 24 hours of being attached to the internet. Yeah, we want that attached to a drone, a predator drone. That'll be great. <laughs> That's gonna uh -huh. be. Oh, in listening, in listening to this, uh, and what you, you're explaining the background is, is I really like the sound of your Gam World games for the past, and I want to know is when we're gonna get a Gam World game together. <laughs> I want to play. I want to play Gamma World with you, Stephen. I will. I will drive up on a Friday, the four hours it takes me. And I will I will stay wherever I got to stay for the weekend, and we're gonna play. We're gonna we'll get together every so often, if once a month, once every other month, and we're gonna play epic Gamrol campaigns. I'm totally behind this. <laughs> oh, that would be absolutely great. I still have all of the modules and things to develop to run the game back then. So one of I us played a Gamrol game us. in many years. So that Ooh. would be great fun. <laughs> So, so, me, so, me and, so me and Steve are going to talk offline after the show to uh, see how we can work. Because, I'm not, Stephen, I'm not even kidding. I, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm totally serious about this, okay? Um, you know, if, that, if that's something we could try to pull together and work together, I mean, that would be fantastic. I would, I would totally be, you know, even if we met every quarter and played, like, for a mega weekend of Gamma World, I would be so happy, okay? <laughs> We'll make that happen. <laughs> it would, so, it, it, so the so, original idea was was more uh, uh, our, our 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 machines turned on us. It's Skynet. It's 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 the Forbin project. It's uh it's that sort of thing where we we got into a war with our tools and that's our apocalypse for the solar system. Right. Or for for or for human space. Were you thinking more than for just human the solar space. system? Back then, I only had the one colony world. Um, I expanded it later. Um, early 2000s when I started, uh, when Gary's project fell apart, I began working on it again, just in between things, you know, not, nothing, uh, not, not dedicating a whole lot of time to it, to be honest. Um, and then, um, like I said, when I, when, when James um, had some of his I called him up and we just talked about my game and I said, hey, I'd, I'd love to do this. And he thought it was just the best thing he had read in a very long time, jumped on board, and we started uh, redesigning the game a little bit. Um, we got into it about three or four weeks, and then he decided we, he wanted to do the card system, which I agreed to do. Um, kind of risky in the marketplace. It is very different. I don't know how well people will, will jump onto it, but uh, certainly the testers and the players at the convention so far have loved it. So. It doesn't require specialized equipment. It requires equipment that is in everybody's house. 
That's you know, true. Everybody, it, it's really hard to find a house that doesn't have one set of bicycle cards. Oh yeah, I got you know I got several different decks just sitting up here on the shelf of just different random. Po- every everybody's got po- poker cards, you know, playing cards, yeah. you know. Yeah. So well, that well he, um, James at that point uh, decided to introduce aliens into the concept, uh, which worked pretty well. So the war with the with the Sentinel ships moved into the. We rolled forward a couple of hundred years, um, added the Lunar Resort, added the alien fleets and, and their worlds, um, and kind of ended up where we're at. So it's, uh, it's so, a pretty so good game so far, and it's going to be expanded pretty rapidly, or at least as rapidly as time allows. There's, um, there's some delay in working uh, projects with Jim, and I try to keep him involved in all of the expansions. Um, no, but he, uh, he he certainly has limited working hours these days. Uh, I gotta ask: are, are, Did the aliens just come by to mow the grass? Was that the problem? We were we were starting to look like a a kudzu weed, and they thought, yeah, let's just cut this back to the to the roots and uh, save ourselves the headache that they're clearly going. These meat bags are clearly going to cause in a couple of decades. Well, let me see if I can paraphrase Jim's idea with putting the aliens into the ground. His concept is that the aliens were, um, I'm going to use the word intimidated by the brain ships that humans had invented because you could take any group of the population and turn them into soldiers or scientists or uh, geologists just by giving them a chip and a few hours later, boom, they have the skill set. Mm-hmm. So the aliens attacked basically to exterminate us before we took over the universe. <laughs> and their intent was to exterminate us. They attacked all 76 colony worlds and Earth Prime itself, all at the same time. Speaking yeah. of Larry Niven, is a, is a, is it a lot of uh, 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 meteor strikes, things like that, it's, it, it, or do they waste their time kicking indoors with death rays? Uh, crystal ships actually came in and orbited the Earth and burnt a strip 55 miles wide, all the way around the circumference of the Earth opening up the magma layer. So now there's a new volcanic range that encircles the Earth. They then dropped um, uh, bioviruses, which caused mutations. They dropped uh, planetary transformation components to start terraforming the planet to their standards. But the three alien races weren't all necessarily aligned with one another. So the Earth is truly the ultimate apocalyptic planet with three different forms of life trying to take over the planet, mutations that have occurred, and keep in mind, this occurred 300 years in the past. At the time you leave the the lunar domes and go down to the Earth, all of this uh, events, all the apocalypse occurred 300 years ago, and the alien ships were essentially wiped out, uh, along with most of Earth's fleet as well. So while there are ships that come back about every 20 years, they really don't make too much progress into the system because there's still a few S ships out in the Oort cloud patrolling and defending Sol system. Each of the other 76 colonies, the worlds are vastly different on each one. So you're really encountering a totally different result of the apocalypse on each colony that you get to. Based on the success of the alien invaders in that particular system, whether they... Right. Okay. Right. And um, I like the idea that they're that the aliens terraforming or xenoforming has been left behind to damage our our world and possibly make it inimicable to human life, but they're not using it. 
you know, they've been driven out of the system, but the terraforming hasn't been fixed. It's still, it's still double plus. That's correct. Good. But there are, there are alien life forms. There are new terrain types that, down on the blasted Earth. Um, you know, so there's a lot of interesting things to encounter. There are areas of the Earth that resemble some of the alien home worlds at this point. And there are much of the Earth still resembles what you and I would call Earth. Very cool. Very nasty. Very fascinating. I mean, I, I'm loving everything you're telling us. It's, it's it sounds very it's very very cool. Very very it sounds like very uh, very intricate, well thought out, uh, very complex. It's it's really I'm really liking what I'm hearing so far. The, I, I know some of it, but I didn't know everything. So I am learning a lot too, just like the audience is. It's very very cool. Very cool. The educational chips are very uh, uh, very George Alec Effinger. I don't know if you ran across when Gravity Fails, but uh, his uh, his stories involved a cyberpunk future oddly set in Islamic North Africa, of all places, which involved educational. Uh, you upload the information to your brain, not upload your brain to the internet, you know, sort of cyberpunk. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> and uh, so, since, uh, unless you have anything more to tell, I'm going to move on to the next question. Oh, that's yes. fine. Let's move on. Move on. Is a, so what? And we've kind of probably t t touched on this uh, probably already, but uh, kind of what were your fictional inspirations for creating your world? The the whole thing, you know, your uh, universe. Oh uh, well, that that's a very long list, I would imagine. But the uh, give us some of the high points. I, <laughs> I, would, I would say, you know, I was a big fan of Battlestar Galactica back in the seventies. That whole idea with you know humanity versus the Cylons just was ingrained in my mind. Um, one of the movies that I really enjoyed is a movie called Slipstream with Mark Hamill. Wow! I thought I was the only person who'd seen that. <laughs> it is a good movie, and he was a much better actor in Slipstream than he was in Star Wars. Um, but in Slipstream... Um, you kind of see the adventure down kind of a river world valley um, he's, where he's traveling um, uh, an AI, basically. Mm -hmm. And that whole concept, whether it's traveling through a river world-like environment that's post-apocalyptic or through the star systems, um, kind of resonate with me. So that certainly had a big influence for me. Uh, Logan's Run obviously had a huge influence with me. I, uh, I love that movie. I love the series. Um, the series wasn't that great, but they 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 had a lot of really good concepts, in my opinion. And uh, let's see, there was a a novel called Sister Alice, which was really good, and it was essentially about uh, starships and an apocalypse that actually destroys the universe at the end of the book. So, not a happy <laughs> ending, but a really good book. Holy crap! Okay, that is one I have never heard of. Can you throw? Do you remember the author off the top of your head? Because otherwise, I'm just going to have to go look it apparently, up. Apparently, he has it on the shelf. So just wait a second, Scott. I have made Oops, where's the camera? There it is. Robert. Robert what? Robert Reed. Okay. That uh, I'll have my dimensional stabilizer here. There you go. Yeah, and it's a it's a very interesting book. Um, and you know, at the end of it, the, there's an issue with the entire universe, and they slip through into a bubble universe or 
some such ending. It's uh, but the entire story of the book is quite good. Very very cool. And that idea for the sentinel ships and so forth. Mm, okay, well, I'm gonna interrupt just for a second because I didn't catch this earlier on. Uh, te- tentacle break people. Just so everybody knows on the listen podcast. Hey Stephen, on on the top of your bar there, uh, you see what looks like um, uh, like like a Wi-Fi signal. Like you know, do you see that between settings and the camera? Yes. Okay. Uh, what is that? What do you set on? You set on the highest, or you set on medium? Oh, it is set on high. Drop it? Yeah, drop it to medium, please, because I'm noticing a lot of bre- uh, a lot of uh, breaking up. So it may be nece- You know, at the end of the day, we might. Uh, break up the connection, so yeah, that, yeah. that way that that way we're all that, that way we're all on the same bandwidth, so it uh, won't get. Because I've noticed it's been a little choppy sometimes, so I don't because I don't want anybody to miss anything you're saying. So okay, cool. All right, technical break over. All right, cool. So uh, um, that's a very cool list, and and you know what's weird is, and I don't know if it was inspirational, but since um, you know I knew the show was coming up, I started watching. Uh, on YouTube, because uh, I don't have it on disc because it's just way too expensive to buy because I didn't get it when it came out, is I've been watching a, re- a bit of Space 1999 because, you know, it's the moon base, moon base alpha, you know, yeah, so it's on the moon. Excellent series. Oh, yeah, I, 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 loved, I loved that when I was a kid, man, uh, you know, because that came out when I was a young child, and I loved all things space, back, you know, space and science fiction, Star Trek, and I have pictures of me in, like, Star Trek shirts, you know, back back in, like, 75, you know. Not the uniform shirts, but shirts with, like, pictures of, like, Kirk and Spock on them. Um, I made space in 1990. As a what? kid, I did not want to get a, a shirt with Kirk and Spock. I wanted the Captain Kirk fatigue, but that never seemed to exist until that I was... Oh, but no, well, I'll tell you. Clear, until I was too old to be wearing them. Well... I, there was a period of time, it must have been in, I don't remember if it was first or second grade, but, because I said, you know, Star Trek started reruns back in 75, so I was six years old, so it might have been, uh, I don't remember what grade it was, but I was so obsessed with the show, I loved Star Trek when I was a kid, so I've been a Trekkie, you know, from the beginning, you know, I've, you know, Trekkies for life, so, um, there was a point where, because I didn't, it must have been first grade, because we were starting to learn, you know, you know, the alphabets and signing and all your names and the letters and stuff. So I wanted, I asked the te- my teacher how to spell James T. Kirk, because I wanted to sign my papers with put my name is James T. Kirk there, because I, when I was like six, seven, like six years old, I wanted to be James T. Kirk, and I wanted my teacher to tell me how to sign it, and I wish I had some of those papers from back then, but I can't find anything, but I put James T. Kirk on my papers, because I wanted, I loved Star Trek that much when I was a, when I was a kid. Like any right-thinking American. That's yeah, right. I, and, I was and, always and, watching Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, Space 1999. Just... Oh, I love Space I had I had the big, you know, because I, I know, because uh, I'm a few years younger, but I had the big, um, the Eagle One. They had like a large, a pretty big place. At oh, all. yeah, yeah, a big for that. action figures. It yeah. was huge. It, it was, was huge. like two I had... scale. I, I, I have one of those. I, I think I have a picture of it somewhere that actually worked out pretty cool was, because I kind of, I kind of mixed my genres a little bit, uh, apparently. Because I had like, <laughs> I, I had like the the, um, 
the eagle like crack. It was like at my grandma's house backyard, and I had like you know it like the, the, we had a big tree with a lot of dirt in the roots, and I had it buried in the back in the in the dirt with with dirt over it, and the things were open, and I had some of the figures were like fell out like it was crashed, and then I had you know Darth Vader and and uh, the stormtroopers around like you know like taking taking them prisoner, and I took a picture of it with the Polaroid we had back then, but I must have did the exposure wrong because you see the the dirt and uh, you know the figures and everything, but right above it, where you would have seen the tree roots and the trees in the backyard, it's all black. So uh, I'm going to see if I can find that. I'll, I'll hold it up next next show. But it's like it's. I used to mix all that. I love I loved science fiction as a kid. I loved it was, all that. It was always infuriating when the when the Star Wars action figures were not the same scale as the Space 1999 action figures that were not the same scale as the Star Trek action figures. I wanted them all to be able to be interactive. You know. I know. I know. <laughs> But, 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 let me, let me run Battlestar back to one thing. The Battlestar Galactica figures were the same size as the Star Wars figures, so the Cylons could have yes. fought with the Star Troopers. Yeah. I think they did. And they were similar size to the Micronauts, so you know they got mixed in there also. So, <laughs> Considering how bad they all, of shots they all are, one wonders who's going to win in a battle between Stormtroopers and Cylons. It, yeah, it seems like the battle would go on forever. They would never win. No, nobody, no, nobody uh, wins. Nobody wins. They run out of ammunition. I, I think they run out of ammunition, and the Cylons win because they always had those swords that they never seemed to pull out and use. Um, despite my best hopes that they would, you know, shiv Starbuck or Apollo with one of those swords. But uh, Steve, I was going to say. Um, didn't, didn't isn't Slipstream doesn't Slipstream now have Mark Hamill doesn't it also have Bill Paxton in it? Hmm. You know I think guy, Bill Paxton is in that. Yeah, the guy who played uh, well, the guy who played you know Corporal no Private Hudson from Aliens. You know, I, I find that a rather odd turn of events that uh, Mark Hamill that, that Luke Skywalker and Private Hudson. Oh, you can't read that. But yes, Bill Paxton is in it. <laughs> okay, that's. I'm glad I remembered that. I remember Bob Peck who plays the the AI, but I wasn't quite sure who plays the plucky, you know, smuggler dude. That's cool. All that's right, cool. Uh, it is post-apocalyptic, right? Slipstream is post-apocalyptic on Earth, right? Absolutely. They only exist yeah. inside that river valley. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, next question, which again, I think we've probably already answered this question, is the next question we had lined up for Stephen is why why the post-apocalyptic theme? And I think we've already answered this question, so I don't oh, think tell we. Tell us more. Tell us more. Apocalypse always been a passion of mine. I remember when Buck Rogers TV series first came out. People have mixed emotions about that particular series, but in the first couple of shows, you got glimpses of the apocalyptic Earth outside the city. And then they yes. never go out and explore it, which oh, I was yeah. very disappointed at. That that infuriated me. <laughs> me too. I mean, there's that one scene with the the mutants, and they've got raggedy clothes. I, I I was hoping that like I don't know they'd go out there and they'd find the they that Ape City would be out there somewhere, right? <laughs> if they because he's in he's in Chicago, right? So if they go towards the East Coast, aren't they? Couldn't they just run into Zero? And Cornelius or something, you know, <laughs> just down the block. Uh, 
Yeah. Because they, they, they don't go into the Forbidden Zone, so they don't know that there's a whole Earth planetary defense, you know, uh, Chicago. They don't, you know, they don't go as far into Chicago, you know, New Chicago, so. New Chicago. There's New Chicago and there's space. <laughs> yeah. That's it. There's nothing else on Earth but New Chicago. And not a lot it. of transition. Like, I would like to point out that there's not a lot of transition between, well, we got ruins and then we got outer space, and that's, holy shit. I just realized 77 Worlds is pretty much ruins and then outer space. So yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so it's Buck Rogers. But there was definitely a transition. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, anyway, what, what other what other were your uh, your post-apocalyptic influences that uh, I know you talked about Gamma World already, and you've talked about some of these others, but um, uh, anything else that really was uh, uh, something that was uh, that. Or rather, what sold you on post-apocalypse? Not what was your favorite post-apocalypse, but what is it about that genre that most speaks to you as a as a platform for adventure and storytelling? Hmm. That's a tough question to answer. Um, I think my first exposure to a post-apocalyptic planet was a, a kid's television show that ran for about a half hour on Saturday morning called Arc 2. I knew he was going to say Arc 2. I knew it! <laughs> I uh, I recently went back and rewatched that series and uh, didn't care for it very much. But as a kid, I loved everything they introduced, and uh, I think that's what kind of set me on the path of apocalyptic stories and movies. I I never re I never watched that show as a kid because again I'm a couple of years younger. So during those Saturday morning cartoons, after all the regular cartoons were on, then about eleven eleven thirties when the live action ones came on, like Arc Two, Shazam. ISIS, and that was my cue to go out and play because I didn't want to watch the live action ones. I was like, "Cartoons over, outside." So I never, I never watched those as a kid, unfortunately. No, I, I picked up the, the the collection myself and was sort of, you know, uh, underwhelmed. Uh, well, I was both underwhelmed and overwhelmed. There was a there was a couple of you know things where I'm like, "Okay, that was actually a cool idea." Like the uh, there's an episode where. Uh, the local warlord is taking all the the food to make alcohol to run his vehicles, and it's this this uh, you know uh, tug of war between whether or not we're going to run the engines or whether we're going to have enough food on everyone's table, and that seemed like a really good post-apocalyptic story to me. Um, you know the the episode about them finding the tank and you know, what use are they going to put this old war machine to? You know, uh, but then again. You know, that's all well and good, but then there's still a chimpanzee driving the Ark 2, you know, <laughs> wearing a suit. There's a chimpanzee in a jumpsuit, and that's that's okay. problematic. You know, oh, that's what's wrong. Hey, well, you, know, you just didn't like him because he has the same name as you. That's why. Yes, the, the chimpanzee <laughs> did bear my name, you know. And uh, sadly, and, and sadly did not drink as much as me. Now, the monkey was like, was like, Lancelot Link secret chip, you know, that'd have been cool. But I did no. enjoy the episode where they had the uh, the city where everybody was perpetually young because they kept cloning themselves. Yes, yes. Wasn't that the one with the weird AI that had the big um, the sort of chessboard uh, you had to navigate? Um, no, that was a separate. That was a separate episode. That was a good episode okay. as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah, um, uh, Arc Two, yeah, that is some old timey apocalypse. For those of us who started. Now, uh, uh, right. Cool. Uh, now, 
I want to move us on to the next question. Is you know, I I I, I phrase it as what did you see missing or what did you see missing or did you see anything missing from other post-apocalyptic uh, games that are out there? Well, I, I don't know that I'm completely familiar with every post-apocalyptic game that's out there, though I'd love to be. Um, and oh, I'm uh, sorry. Let me add this: like, so what did you see missing from other post-apocalyptic uh, other post-apocalyptic games that this one would provide that others don't have? That's really more. The, I'm sorry, I didn't complete. Mostly that the transition into space is what I was I was missing. Um, I, I didn't. I think before we would have an apocalypse in this world, we will have space colonies. We will have space stations. There will be things beyond the Earth. And the apocalyptic games tend to just kind of ignore that fact. Um, mm -hmm. ignored it. Gamma World more or less ignored it. Um, they, they kept teasing us, but never quite delivering. And I, you know. Yeah, they, they mention it in a, in a background story, you know, about the space station that's still there or whatever, and then it's never, never seen again. Um, so I always wanted to expand in that direction. Um, yeah, so I, I don't really know um, how this game compares to uh, some of the other games in the market. Um, Most of the games are very traditional, and your post-apocalypse is right here on this rock. That's it. Um, post-apocalypse almost never is the post-apocalypse of a colony, you know, that's separated from the home world. Uh, I can't think of anyone except maybe wasn't there a um, uh, uh, there was something from uh, Palladium called I think Mechanoids, which was a sort of an alien invasion uh, uh, setting where you start off on a colony world that has been decimated by the alien invaders as their first step into human space. But it it was more of an alien invasion story than a post-apocalyptic story, you know. Sure. Um, they just didn't have the same feel. Post-apocalypse, uh, part of post-apocalypse is fixing things afterwards. It's, it's rebuilding, and that just didn't exist in the uh, Palladium product. Well, um, how, much of, how much of that appeals to you, the idea of crawling back, you know, crawling back from the brink? Uh, how much of that uh, influences what you want to see in the what, what you want seventy seven worlds to do for the players? That's the, entirely what it's about: um, getting humanity and reestablishing their colonies and spreading humanity back out into the universe is is the goal. They have to determine what actually happened. Uh, you want to eventually bring the resources back to the lunar resort so that the last vestiges of humanity remain alive. Um, you want to make your way out to the Jupiter shipyards um, to find a ship capable of doing a, a warp to another col uh, colony system. Then you want to find out what happened to those colonies and, and what triggered everything. And in each area, you're going to discover new things that will help you rebuild, fortify, ex and expand humanity. Um, but the ultimate goal is to to bring humans out of the resort dome and other places where you might find them to reestablish uh, the, the human space. That's a long climb, considering that we're again packed in a terrarium. <laughs> we it, went it, from it, empire. We went from empire to aquarium um, or terrarium. That's that's a rough fall. Seems like a long climb, but you know when you replace your Egyptian soldier chip with a starship commander chip, you suddenly have a lot of knowledge <laughs> you didn't have before. 
And um, because that's it was so automated, most of these ships that were heavily damaged in the war but not destroyed have been slowly hit a point where a human must make a decision. So there's a lot of things that have progressed up to a point, and they're just waiting on a human being to come along and say, good job, or move on to the next task, whatever. It's, it, 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 that, that just reminds me of Space 1999, because the Moon Base Alpha's uh, AI eventually gets to a point sometimes that says, human decision required. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you're going to find in most of the starships, the bases, uh, things beyond the lunar resort. When you get there, they're, they're going to have done some things, and then they stop, and they're waiting for a human decision. A lot mm. of these things just went into um, uh, a bunker mode where they stopped transmissions, they shielded themselves, and just turned off and waited for a new command. Very cool. Again, very cool. The, how, the, how the more, the more, the more you tell me about it, the more I, I just, I, I just enjoy it more and more. How much of the? Uh, I mean, I like the idea of the AI sort of that's sort of where they're taking they're taking care of the survivors on the resort. You know, sort of you know, uh, uh, having us almost frozen in amber in this rather unnatural environment. But again, trying to keep us alive, uh, but not doing. Maybe not doing the best job in some ways, you know, because they've got us uh, uh, plugged into these these artificial realities, uh, uh, resort settings. Um, but uh, they seem to basically have our best interests at heart, even if they're not doing a great job. Are there is there room enough that, so that they're not every AI is on board with the we should wait so we, we should get some humans to tell us what to do. If you read some of the short stories in our lunar anthology, you will definitely see where the AIs are not all against others. Uh, they all have two main imperatives. They want to protect humanity, and some of them want to take humanity back out into space, and a lot of them want to maintain the illusion of the resource, and those things are not all compatible. Um, so on some instances, you'll have AIs that reluctantly agree to pull people out of the, the illusion, in order to send them on a mission. Um, in other cases, you'll have AIs directly working against each other. So That's cool. If you're on a mission I, for a particular AI or for one of Merlin's men, you may have androids coming and opposing you from one of the other AIs. Oh, did you just say Merlin like the AI that runs Camelot is Merlin? Please tell me that the AI... Is it Merlin? The AI is not Merlin. Okay, okay. That would have been pretty awesome. If the AI is doing anything else about it. <laughs> oh, the AI is gonna the AI is gonna be Excalibur. The AI is gonna be Excalibur. Right. So, so we have so we already have this post-apocalyptic world, and now we have all the AI trying to, in our best interest, keep humanity around. But they all don't agree. So basically, we're have you know. So basically, I could see that somewhere there could be an all-out war between the AIs because they all can't decide on what they want to do. Like mm -hmm. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Well, there was yeah. a point where the AIs fought humanity, so <laughs> that wasn't so long ago, about 450 years into the past. Um, but yes, that's absolutely true. Within the, within the resort domes themselves, there's a lot of contention. It's usually not direct conflict. It's usually um, subtle. Um, once you're outside of the lunar resort, you really only have to deal with the AIs if you're in a redoubt or you're on a starship and the AI that controls that starship. So it's not like the AIs are in a shooting war. 
They just have different agendas. Yet. And yet. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure Jared liked the fact you just used the word redoubt. Oh, I, 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 I noted that. I noted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that was that was the uh, that was the sort of uh, uh, big jumping off point for every uh, Deathland stories was the next redoubt. Absolutely, I've gone through the entire Deathlands trilogy and Outlanders, and those were quite entertaining on my long drives across the country. Oh, so you, you ah. did, so so you did so you did the the, the, the done by graph, uh, graphic audio, right? Yes. Funny, funny thing. I I took a picture of it. I I, I keep on meaning to post it. Is I was driving back down from Tampa this weekend, and I stopped at one of those uh, truck stops, uh, Loves, I think they're called. Right. You know, where they where they have like the big convenience store to fast food, and they have like a place for the truckers to eat, sleep, rest, you know, shower, all that stuff. And there was a whole section of like audio stuff, and there was a whole shelf of graphic audio. Like a whole section of the graphic audio CDs, and they had a whole shelf of Deathlands. Um, yeah, that's where I bought most of my books. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them, unfortunately, they didn't have anything really old. If they would have had, because they're, they're, you know, I know it's five CDs, but I'm still like, oh, it's kind of expensive. I've even looked at it online recently. Even their their uh, just digital MP downloads are a bit pricey. And I'm like, yeah, it's uh, around yeah. 20 bucks for five hours, which is expensive in the auto market. Yeah, it is. But so I'm like, having different actors for every character and the background music is really nice. Yeah, as I was saying, is I knew because I know they did a lot more than just okay, we're reading the story, which I would have been fine with. Uh, there, they do more like they make it more like a radio drama kind of thing. I know they do a lot more, but if they would have had Pilgrimage to Hell, the first one on those CDs, I would have I would have paid that nineteen ninety nine to get it at the at the store at the at the at the gas station. <laughs> um, so I'm going to combine the next two questions because I think they could probably all be answered um, in one shot. Is how long did the project? Well, we kind of know how long the project took because you had the idea back in the in the eighties. But let's take your jumping point. How long did the project take from the time you started working with James Ward to bring it to fruition? And what challenges did you encounter when you were working on the project? Okay. Um, well, we had our first conversation about it in late twenty thirteen, November, December. And we began working on the project uh, April of 2014. I would say it, it took it took about eight months, but over a period of almost two years. And uh, okay, that's not too bad. No, no, and uh, that's actually really good for this industry, sir. I hate to say it, <laughs> the glacial pace of the game industry—that's pretty good. Well, it uh, seems like a long time to me, so that's good to hear. <laughs> and then uh, I think the box set went on sale early 2015, um, okay. maybe Christmas 2014. It was right in that time frame. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, yeah, because I remember kind of getting it towards like um, yeah, the beginning of last year. So that, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, we um, we had it out before Gary Con of 2015. Our first dad was in Gygax Magazine number five, which they gave away at GaryCon last year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we've been on the market for, I guess, a little over a year now. Oh, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And hey, what 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 products are on the market now? You got your box set, and you mentioned a fiction collection, which uh, I think I would like to hear more about because fiction. Yeah, we have the Lunar Anthology, 
which is 10 short stories by nine authors. And uh, this is currently available in print form. It will be available as an ebook, uh, possibly as early as next week. Um, working out those files now. And um, James Ward authors two of the stories in the book. Um, Chris Clark, uh, Michael Curtis, uh, Ann Brown, Steve Peake, uh, Stephen Sullivan. Um, and then I have a story in the book as well. Uh, not that I'm anywhere in their caliber, but it's, I think it's a good story. <laughs> and um, that's our first anthology. It's actually labeled Volume 1. Volume 2 is currently in the works. We have three stories done for that one already. We have an apocalyptic space anthology that is opening up uh, the storyline to both Gamble World stories and other space apocalyptic events. There's a couple of uh, stories that's uh, about starships out in the deep oh, space. Oh, we're going to eat that up with a spoon. Please send us. Please send us some some review copies or tell us where to buy it because that's right up this podcast alley. That's. Oh. We expect well, it, to have uh, two more anthologies out before the end of the year. Um, don't have an exact publication date at this point. Oh, uh, don't worry, Scott. Me and, me and Stephen already talked about that, so we're gonna we're gonna get a hold of that. We're gonna uh, read those and review them, just like we did the last one that we were supposed to review. But um, hey, we'll, we'll we'll do better than we'll do better than that one. It, it was hard. It was a Canadian apocalypse anthology. Everyone was so polite in the apocalypse. It was hard to get through. <laughs> That's not true. That no. We're, we're, just te- we're just terrible people. Yeah, we're just, uh, like I always tell people, especially, I was like, we'll get around We'll get around to whatever it is, we'll get around to it eventually. We, o- we always do. We're a little bit slow sometimes, but we always get around to it because, like we always say, you know, God's plate is always full. I don't even think he has a plate anymore. I think it's just he's all I can't just, see it. He's just kind of, it, it, the, the, the plate's broken. It's just kind of all falling out of his hands. There's no plate anymore, okay? <laughs> so, um, I think I have a table. I don't have a plate. I just have a table with stuff on it. You have, like, well, you, have, you have like one of those big serving trays, like when they bring out, you know, lots of plates at one time, and it's like a big, like, big pie dish, you know? Um, uh, you know, so we, we, have, we, always, we all have a lot going on, so we, we get around to it. But, yes, we're definitely, uh, me and Steve, I said me and Steve already talked about that, and we're going to... Um, We'll talk about that offline, and we, we'll get it. We will definitely give our two cents on the stories, because again, it's our two cents. It's our opinion for good or for bad, you know. But um, we well, will I'm just get... excited about any new, uh, any new, any new, because uh, uh, you sounded like you're going. Stephen sounded like he was going the direction of generationship problems, and I'm always a fan of those micro worlds on a generationship that go kerflui. Uh, I never got enough of that from Heinlein. I never got enough of that from uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, um, uh, Brian, Brian, Brian yeah. Aldis, and uh, yeah, uh, never get enough of that. Well, we are definitely heading in that direction for a number of different reasons, and even in the background stories in the anthology and in the core books, we reference colony ships that jump out just before the alien invasion. What happens to them? We'll find out in time. <laughs> nice. So, so you have the anthology, which is available. Um, what else do you have? You have, you have uh, I know you have uh, a core box set. You know, kind of tell us about how you know all this works, because there's more than just the core box set. You have other, some other materials yeah. too, I believe. The core box set has a, a book in it, uh, the core rule book AS1, uh, which covers 
uh, the ward card system and all the basic character types. We have, uh, I believe we have 12 different character types in there that you can play. Each one has special, you know, unique abilities. Fine mutations um, for player characters in the basic set because it's supposed to be in the Lunar Resort, which is all pure human. You'll find a lot more of that expansion and mutations and things that can occur to you in the Blasted Earth Hardback book, which is coming out later this year. We've been working mm -hmm. on that now for about three months. Um, so that's going to be a major expansion to the existing rules, not a replacement for the rules. Um, we have uh, a Game Master screen which connects all of the charts together uh, for easy reference and play. Um, it's called a Game Master screen, but it's equally useful to players. It simply lists the, the charts, the uh, what cards do what, how long it takes to do certain things in, a, in, a, in, in seconds and so forth. Can it serve as quick start rules? Yes. Yeah, okay. there's... Um, yeah, there, there's a, a couple of pieces in there. In the box set itself, there are pre-generated characters, which you can pick up and immediately start playing. Uh, the AS2 book it has a bunch of quests for each of the three domes, uh, so a game master can go in, read about them, and jump right into playing the game. Um, it's not They're not extensive modules. They're, they're short quests. Um, beyond that, we have the... Uh, ET 1 through 3 modules that are coming out, which is Quest of the Pharaoh's Helm. Uh, and that's the larger quest in the Egyptian Dome to go out and find the lost Pharaoh's Helm and come back and become the Pharaoh of Egypt. Uh, that quest takes you into the Valley of the Dead in the Lost Pyramid. Um, out in how, a couple of months, and that goes beneath how, the Lost Pyramid. How big are the dooms, or are they getting out? Or are they getting out onto the lunar surface to find things like the Valley of the Dead and this lost? The domes are not domed cities; they are they are twenty five miles across. Okay. Okay, so there are cities and towns and Inside mountains the and valleys and all kinds of stuff within that twenty five mile radius. Um, there is a uh, underdome complex where the AIs manufacture machines and androids and uh, all kinds of other stuff and maintain the environment uh, that you can get down into through a variety of means. Um, the ET4 adventure takes you beneath the Valley of the Dead where you encounter a lot of strange things including the alien waspian nest and android complexes, repair facilities, and that actually connects to a lot of the uh, uh, the underground subways that connect these three domes, the spaceport, and other destinations on the moon. Aha! Aha! So there's, okay, the, the, the haunted house just keeps getting bigger and bigger. All right, it, that's excellent. It really does. Now, not much is maintained beyond the lunar resort. Um, you know, so a lot of it's going to be very much... Um, like going into a, a nuked city, you know, there, there are craters where things have been destroyed, there are things that have just run down after 300 years, there are places where aliens were stranded when their ships were blown up and, and they've built things that you may run into, um, there are military bases um, or what's left of them to explore. Uh, so that, that's going to uh, continue to expand. I have a surface adventure I'm working on, which I'm hoping to uh, put out in July. 
which actually goes out to a crashed fighter craft where you revive somebody from stasis that was fighting in the war against the aliens. And then that leads to a whole string of other things with that person's knowledge. I'm I'm oh I am always a fan of finding people in cryo in cryostasis in an apocalyptic world. I, I just I don't know why I just I just I just always like that. You know, like somebody from the past. You know, because I always thought it was cool because they they have that in. Um, are you familiar with the Black Tie Studios? Uh, comic, uh, The Last Generation? I am not. Last Generation came out late 80s. It was, it, it was uh, you know, ripe with a lot of problems, so only five issues came out. But there was like, it was like a post-apocalyptic world where basically, you know, there there wasn't really any pure, almost no, they didn't get deep enough into it, but there wasn't like, there was like, you know, humanoid shaped, you know, there was like bears and wolves and there was, uh, you know, mutants t- creatures, and they, during the during the the adventure the, the adventures that they're in, they encounter this guy who just this regular old schlub who was just this guy who was in cryo sleep. But he's like, what the hell's going on in this world? You know, um, yeah. Anytime you get like somebody who's in cryo sleep from the past who comes to the future, ever, I, I love it. Ever since Genesis two, yeah, that's the first time I saw that was the old Gene Roddenberry Genesis two that gag, and then you know. Uh, just want to keep doing it again and again, all the way down to Fallout 4. Yeah, it's it's an old trope, but... I enjoyed you know, Genesis 2 quite a bit. In fact, Art oh, 2 yeah. had an episode where they, they woke up uh, some people from a cryotube, and I think it was an old businessman that was played by one of the actors from Gilligan's Island. It was bizarre. Yes, I, re- yes, I do remember that, too. Yeah. Well, and they, they did that in... Uh, I'm sure you're also familiar with, um, Stephen, you saw... The old uh, Canadian television show. Um, oh my God! I just drew a blank. Holy shit! Um, the Star Lost. I can, I can't believe it. you're familiar with the Star Lost. Uh, oh, Steven? absolutely! I have it on DVD here. So do I. So yeah. do I. Um, the Star Lost, in like one of the early episodes, like they wake up, like we don't know what's going on. Help us! Why did you wake me up? Like they wake people out of the cryo sleep. I love again. It's an old trope at this point, but it's like I don't know. I just I just I just like it. I think it's I think it's a good gag. Oh yeah, know, it so. works and it works every time. <laughs> yeah, it gets me every time. Cool. So it sounds like you got a lot you got a lot of stuff lined up and a lot of stuff coming out. So um, one of the things uh, now again I did post it on the uh, on the episode and I will get it posted again. Um, actually, I'll post it again right now. Is but tell our folks verbally where can they find. All your fascinating uh, and exciting new products for the law, the the Lost Seventy Seven World, Stephen. Uh, the best place to find it is just to go to seventy seven worlds dot com, and from there you it'll take you to the Fireside Creations website where you can go into the store and order it. Um, most of the products are also available on Amazon. Excellent. Okay, I just reposted the link on the event page so people could uh, find that there. Yeah, we, we hope to uh, probably by early summer, late May, early June, have everything on Amazon, including the anthologies on the Kindle store. Very cool. Yes. Nice. Um, do you, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I know you go to GaryCon. Uh, do, you, do you attend Gen Con? Do you plan to, do you attend, uh, you'll be doing that this year at all? I do not normally attend Gen Con. Um, I'm trying to cre- uh, come up with a list of uh, more local gaming conventions that I want to attend. 
I want to go to the one in North Texas. Um, I forget its name offhand. Gamma. Um, Com- Comic Comic Palooza. Um, no, um, no. No, it's North Texas Con or Dallas Con or something. It's okay. in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, but I am looking at a number of different conventions, and I'm going to try to set up a schedule so next year I can hit a couple of them. Okay, cool. Um, I know Jim hits four conventions each year, and he runs a 77 Worlds game at each one of them. Um, you know, So at Gary Con, I will always be running a game somewhere. And um, as soon as I have a list of conventions I'm going to attend, and I've asked people to send me suggestions, and I'll get that posted out on the website. Well, I was asking about Gen Con is because me and Scott go to Gen Con every year. We run a booth, you know, because you know Scott has his uh, pagan publishing uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, company. I have a small uh, business myself where I, I do Cthulhu-related tchotchkes, you know. So we always go to Gen Con. So I was wondering, it's like, hey, if you're going to be in Gen Con, you know, let's hang out. So we but, will uh, buy you a drink, and Jared will make you run gambling in the past. <laughs> Ron Gamble Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, uh, that, that could happen. I'll take a uh, look yeah. and see when Gen Con is this year and see how that fits into my schedule. I might be able to make it. Right, cool. And uh, I, I'm going to try because I've been watching it for years and year after year. It, uh, I'm like, I want, I want to get to it before it becomes too commonplace. It's still kind of niche right now. Is I want to try to get to Gary Con. I'm going to try my damnedest next year to to make it up to Gary Con because yeah, I, I wanted to. I wanted to go since. Jerrycon was very nice this year. They they went to a new facility, and there were quite a few people there. You know, it, it's it's no longer a couple of hundred people convention. It's in the thousands now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I see. I want I want to go before you get because you know I remember you know seeing in the Dragon magazines like you know Gen Con. Like remember the old Dragon magazines where you would register by pulling the stuff out of the Dragon magazine and fill it out and mail it in and stuff. Yeah. You know, like Gen Con. 18, 20, like the early, 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 yeah, early. You were still in Geneva, Wisconsin. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I remember, like, I remember, like, reading that in like '83, and like, oh, I want to go to this, but there's no way I'm gonna be able to ever ask my mother, who's never gonna let me go. My mother, <laughs> I, my mother was too neurotic, man. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do anything. So, but I always, always wanted to do because I used to l- see the listing of games, like, oh, I want to play this and that. So I want to get to Gary Con before it gets into the double digits, you know. So at least I can say, yes, I was there in the first ten. You know, yeah, yeah. That story reminds me of my first trip to Gen Con South, which was held here in Jacksonville, down from Atlanta. That's right. They had Jacksonville. They had Gen Con yeah. South in Jacksonville. Like what, like eighty-five, four, something like that. Yeah, I was uh, fifteen at the time, and it took me three and a half weeks to talk my mom and to let me drive down here with a bunch of guys from high school. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, that's, I, uh, I, that's the first time I met Greg Igex Was there at Gen Con South? Nice. My my first gaming convention was a local small con because I, I live down in uh, I live down in South Florida. Um, you know I'm, I'm in I'm in Palm Beach County now uh, in Boca, but I used to be just 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 south of here. Uh, I grew up in Broward, and we had a local we have a community Broward Community College, and uh, back in '85. Uh, there was Gold Con. They had a local gaming convention run by the local gaming uh, group. The local gaming, uh, I guess, they had like a gaming group there or like a club or something. And I went to Gold Con 3, so it was the third one. Went to Gold Con 3 in 85. It was held in the, the small gymnasium area that BCC had. You had a couple of vendors and, um, you know, played some games and demoed some games. So that that was that was my, I, was, I, I must have been, 
I was like 15, 16 at the time. That was like my first game convention too. It was like a local, small little convention. And I remember seeing demoed there. It was a new game system that came out. Do you remember, Scott, do you remember this too? Is There was a game system called Cabal. Do you remember that? Yes. It was a horror game system, wasn't it? It was a fantasy system, but it was like the system was called Cabal, and it had a modern version of it because that was the fantasy. There was uh, Mission, I think it was called, was, and the guy who created the game was play, was at the game. I guess he must have been local or something, and he was there demoing the game. And I remember my one friend fell in love with it, but we thought we all thought it was awful. We thought the game, we thought it was ter- <laughs> we thought it was a terrible system. But he bought everything for it there. You know, and he tried to get us to play it. And we like played it once. We're like, dude, this game is just so awful. Let's play D and D. You know, so uh... <laughs> yeah. Why are, why aren't we playing Gamma World? Explain to me why we're not playing Gamma World. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm seeing I'm seeing a problem here. So. Right. Yeah, we're not playing Gamma World. Yeah, That's the problem. All right, folks, so uh, we're going to wrap it up here. So that was The Lost 77 Worlds RPG, uh, a post-apocalyptic space you know, or science fiction uh, game. Uh, Steven you know, was, again, very gracious to join the show tonight to get tell us all about it, where it came from, what it's all about, what's coming out in the future. And, again, 77worlds.com is the website, Steven? Yes, it is. 77worlds.com, folks. You could go there to find out more about the game. You could purchase the game there as well, and also it is available. Uh, apparently, it must be through your. You have a store on Amazon, but uh, folks, if you like the the apocalypse or or even just straight up science fiction, this sounds like it's definitely uh, up everybody's alley. So, uh, so that's going to be it for this week, folks. Uh, again. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us uh, tonight. We really appreciate it, and we really enjoyed having you on and uh, enjoyed learning uh, all about uh, your, your, your game, yours and James's game. You know, I don't want to forget, you know, we've been talking, because you've been in front of us, so we've been talking to you, but uh, Mr. James Ward uh, was also a very large part, uh, you know, of creating this game as well. So. Oh, absolutely. James designed the mechanics of it, and I appreciate you guys inviting me. I've enjoyed being here. Excellent. Excellent. Scott, any any last words for Stephen? No, except that I'm I'm going to immediately uh, go and get the uh, anthology of short stories. That's the first thing I'm going to go get. Um, uh, I like to dive, I'm I'm definitely going to dive into the uh, dive into the world you've created uh, right off the bat with some fiction. That sounds delicious. So I'm going there first. Excellent. So again, folks, thank you everybody for joining us uh, tonight for episode 57. And as like I always say, please be social, be responsible. If you like the show, please follow us, you know, subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. If you like, you know, the episodes that you see, please make sure to like it, share with your friends, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. Uh, you know, all the exposure we could get, uh, the better. You know, because all it could do is make us bigger and make it even harder to handle. So that, yes, that's yeah. that's that's what we're looking for. Uh, so we did two we did two weeks in a row this week uh, this time, folks, because we went a little bit without a show. So we wanted to at least make sure we got two in in March. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do for the next show yet, folks, because you know sometimes it's a, it's a, it's just as a mystery to you as it is to me, because sometimes we don't know until right before we do it. So as soon we will do a show soon. We're we're not gonna go another month again. We'll probably do a normal two weeks. Me and Scott will decide what we're gonna do, and we will let you know as soon as possible. So again, thank you, Adam, Scott. Uh, I hate it when I mess stuff up. Who am I? I don't know. I, I, I do not know. 
Thank you, Adam Bomb Glancy, and uh, thank you, Stephen Lee, for joining us. I am Jared the Apocalypse, Nerd Wallace, and again, thank you all for joining us. We will see you in the wastelands.